the CCUA episode 26 with a very special guest, Mary Beth LaRue. Things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem. But the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. Only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible be found in us. This is The Sisu Way, a show about grit, character, gratitude, service, and what it means to choose strength. We learn how to awaken the inner strength and peace so we can meet every day's adversity of life, loss, and disappointments with the ability to love everything that happens. My name is Scott McGee. I'm a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. The opening was from the American Tibetan Buddhist nun, Pema Children, and her book, When Things Fall Apart, Heartfelt Advice for Hard Times. And I chose it, hopefully for obvious reasons, and partly due to the direction of this episode, but also to bridge the gap between this episode and episode seven with Maddie Porta entitled Fostering Love. Pema was the opening to that episode as well with a tie-in to some of my guest Mary Beth LaRue's writing. And I think the most attractive thing about Pema is her insight into the human conditioning, human condition of suffering and the universal connection of love and compassion. So if you don't remember or haven't listened to episode seven, Fostering Love with Mataporta, who is Mary Beth's husband, uh, it was more than a story of what it's like to foster to adopt a child. It was a lesson and reminder that every day is a gift and nothing is more powerful than love. Relationships can come and go in an instant. Nothing is guaranteed. Love with a sense of urgency and live on purpose. Be strong and compassionate to face and forgive yourself. Vulnerability is strength. So fostering a child is the highest form of service. In the dictionary, service is defined as the action of helping or doing work for someone. What act is greater than giving a child in need a family? The opportunity to be loved beyond words, a safe environment, and a chance to thrive. People might be temporary in your life, but that is not in your control. What is in your control is the deliberate and passionate love shared in the moment every day. Nothing is guaranteed. Regardless of the word that comes before, comes before the word parent, like adoptive or foster or step or bio, that doesn't matter. What is guaranteed is a love and dedication in the heart of Mataporta and his wife, my guest, Mary Beth LaRue. They have opened their heart to foster to adopt a young child, giving this soul a chance to thrive in the most loving environment. In these moments, Matt and Mary Beth became what they were meant to be. This is a story of incredible humans who have never known a love like this or had a purpose as deep as the sea and vast as the sky. 
Now, Mary Beth or MB, I'll probably switch back and forth, is not who she is because she fosters. She fosters because of who she is. She is also a yoga teacher, mentor, and writer, as well as the co-founder of Rock Your Bliss, where she helps and coaches women design a life that they absolutely love. Before I go any further, I want to thank you and thank you for driving all the way out here <laughs> um, to connect and be face-to-face. Uh, I, this is definitely an honor I, I don't hold lightly. Um, we have a lot to talk about. I already went over this a little bit, but we got like four chapters or so lined up in my head and what we're going to go over. But I also want to express my sincere gratitude for you, your family, and also the time of the listeners. So time and what we decide, what we actually decide to give our conscious attention to matters. It's that little currency is invaluable. And so I recognize it and I'm grateful for it. And I also hope, that the listeners are, are aware of it as well. Because I don't know if people really pay attention to what they're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And so if you really pay attention to that, you realize that is valuable and that time is not guaranteed. You don't get it back and you don't know how much of it you actually have. So pay attention to what you're paying attention to. And since you're listening to this right now and listening to me ramble, uh, thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Now, as you know, and as the listeners know, we are not defined by our bios. Mm-hmm. We are not defined by our circumstances. And this is something we mentioned earlier offline. And also I think the, the listeners of the show know that I actually like cringe when I do bios. Because I don't know if it's like, a, like bios are not like they're shallow because you have to do it. But most of the time, it's all like fancy work accomplishments. Mm-hmm. But they're not, they don't really at all define the person. It doesn't show what they've gone through or anything like that. So I feel weird about doing it. But I understand it's necessary. Um, so let's start off with this. So what do you think the experiences of your life are trying to tell you about yourself? Mm. I would say this past year especially has shown me how to slow down and to really wholeheartedly embrace uncertainty. And like you said, be really aware of what I'm giving my time and my presence to. Because I think it's really easy to go five years out, go 10 years out of well, this is, I'll be happy when, you know, I'll be happy when syndrome, that when I get this, I'll I'll feel content. But living with such uncertainty with baby A has, has shown me that that is so not guaranteed. And that even in moments that I would define as difficult or painful, or even had moments of where I feel that I'm a victim, like that kind of helpless feeling, If I can slow down and be so present to my breath and watching my little boy play or listening to whoever I'm talking to or, you know, whoever's speaking and just really be there, 
without leaning into the future, the moment's enough. But I spent so much time trying to wiggle my way out of the present moment, Mm -hmm. wiggle, wiggle, wiggle all the time, trying to get out of the present moment, get out of what I was feeling. And I was missing all of it, right? I was missing my life. Um, So I would say in the last year especially, life is teaching me that I'm enough and life is enough as is. That What I come back to over and over again is that it's unfolding exactly as it's meant to. I feel like, for one, and I don't know, I don't know if you realize this, especially coming from someone that practices yoga and practices meditation, right? Mm-hmm. And I say practice because it's, it's a legit practice because you're always moving, and we'll talk about this later, but moving in between like failing at meditation and doing it. And <laughs> even while you're doing it, you're like yeah. failing, now I'm backing, now I'm good. Okay, wait, no, I'm back. So there's like this lesson of mindfulness, mm-hmm. right? And so being aware in the present moment I'll add something with with gratitude and without judgment and then knowing how much of a gift that is. Mm-hmm. Just that. And it being okay right now and focusing on that. Yeah. I see that even, that's why it's like, I can even go sit in the corner over there and just be completely happy. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it has to do with because of the little kids, but like. <laughs> <laughs> you want to put yourself in the yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that, that as one of the takeaways I, I I heard when you were speaking, and also the the balance and struggle of mentally being a victim and a victor. Mm-hmm. There's always like this ongoing internal battle in your own head, which is like the greatest battle ever between being a victim and a victor. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I want to point out about that is if you are, and this is something I'm pulling from some conversations I've had with the listeners offline about this is that if you are a victim or you do stray off the path that it's okay, it's okay. Just don't stay there because no one's going to be a perfect, like I'm on the path. I never fail. I'm always awesome. I always do everything right. I always appreciate everything. I never get mad. Mm No, it doesn't work like that. So allow some space for that. And it sounds like with you um, that you've also allowed a lot of space for yourself to be okay with that too. I have. I, I had a couple of months this summer where, I mean, I define it as going a bit dark. Like I really, I allowed expectations to sabotage a lot of the present moment. And I was so scared, scared that, this love that I feel for this little boy was being challenged or, or could be taken away. And only when I have really worked on that idea and worked on that thought, right? Because so much of this is it's coming from our thoughts that that can never be taken away. Mm -hmm. Like no matter if circumstances change my experience with him and the way that I have changed and my husband have changed that can never go anywhere. So it's an awareness too that my expectations are actually what will sabotage. You just reminded me of a passage in 
my little Tao Te Ching book back there mm-hmm. that, and bear with me, I've read it once. It was a gift <laughs> from uh, Ryan Muncy, who is a previous guest, and I'm, I need like an attorney to actually study this book. But one of the things that stood out in it, there's one paragraph of one of the passages that said something along the lines of being able to look in, look into the darkness with clarity and then having the strength to yield or surrender and then understanding that you have the ability to bring the inner light. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know if that also has to do with, um, you know, uh, solitude maybe mm-hmm. or alone time or, or kind of what you just said, but speaking of the darkness, um, I've also noticed online and in your writings that you're, you, you've, you've found like the space of like strength in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I wrote here that you put yourself on the line, making it okay to hurt. And with that being said, how do you shine light on the darkness in you? I think it's really important to show your humanness, no matter what field you're in, what world you're in. Um, When I speak to something scary, something that makes me sweaty, something Mm -hmm. that feels vulnerable, I call it showing my underbelly. It makes it okay for someone else to. And if that's one person, great. But there's there's so much pressure online I see to show these glossy photographs of things being perfect, you know, a green smoothie and meditation and I'm writing in my gratitude journal and this and that. And and those can be tools and support, but your perspective is most important and your experience is to be valued. And unless we get real about what's occurring within us, we're not going to have real conversations. And I am not interested whatsoever in fake connection, online, offline, anywhere. I'm just not. And what feels really satisfying for me is to put myself on the line because I get to shift then. You know, I, I have been sober for almost three years in January and that was really scary to admit being a yoga and meditation teacher that I had a problem with alcohol and that more so that there was a darkness in me I wasn't willing to acknowledge. And it's something I feel zero shame over now mm-hmm. because I've unpacked it by speaking to it. And when I get messages, especially from other women who are like, oh, you made it okay for me to question this or to pause or to have this conversation with another friend, that to me feels worth it to drop some of the gloss of social media to be gritty and, and human. There's, there, there's a word that I'm looking for, mask is one of them Mm -hmm. or facade or costume or something, Mm -hmm. some type of exterior shell that is, takes energy and effort and deceit to portray. Mm -hmm. So that could be a a persona on social media. Mm -hmm. It could also be the way you 
act and, and the, what you try and put out in the world as well. But I've learned that that takes energy. That takes a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work. It takes focus. <laughs> yeah. And it also, it is, it's fueled by fear. It's fueled by insecurity. And it's fueled by a lack of inner peace. And those are all things that I guess um, sounds like you and I are probably not interested in. Mm -hmm. And so you end up finding like an extreme amount of like inner peace and freedom by letting it go and being okay with it and not trying to do anything. You know, I'm not, not, not trying to be anything but like your authentic self. I don't know. That's like a... It seems super easy, but it's also incredibly oh, difficult. Such a challenge, and too, when you're wearing a mask, you're you're drawing in things that aren't meant for you because you're fooling people. So for so long, I pretended I was super extroverted um, because I thought that was what you were supposed to be, and there were certain parts of my personality I, I didn't allow to be seen, and so I drew in a bunch of stuff and people and situations that didn't feel good when really I wanted to be at home at 9.30 reading my book, <laughs> you know, <So> relaxing, <laughs> candlelit so tea. And instead I was, you know, elsewhere. And when we have on that mask, right, we're, we're not filtering through experiences or people. And when I show up as my authentic self, I'm going to draw in what's meant for me. And not everything or everyone is meant for me. And but I'm not meant for everyone. And that has been a really beautiful thing to realize because I spent a lot of time wanting everyone to like me or wanting every opportunity. And there's a real grounding in no longer needing that. I think there's a... This, this is off my notes i mean i mean not even not i mean like off off not actually on the page <laughs> but the but the idea of like a public perception in and what is seen and this is weird i'm gonna get all like obviously we're all light right everything is light that's what you perceive you don't really it's other people's light it's light from your phone and light from skin that you're you're mm -hmm. perceiving and so understanding i realize that your your public persona any private persona are, are, are coming closer together, it sounds like, or just you. But also I didn't realize like how like your business and everything, like you are your own brand and what kind of pressure that is. I mean, is that something you consider? Even if you're writing or you know you're going to say make a publication or make a, a, a video or, or social media post, is there like some type of filter system that goes through your mind before you hit post? Yeah, it's called How Does This Feel? <laughs> good, all right. And no, that's a really good point because I think there are all these metrics you could look at, right? What's, what's being liked? What do people connect with? And for me, that kind of stuff makes me shut down. Yeah, like it makes me feel yeah. tired just saying it. Yeah. It really does. It feels gross. Yeah, it feels super gross. And it feels like tricking people, right? Like, mm -hmm. no, thank you. I don't want to be tricked, so I'm going to try not to do that. And how does it feel, right? Even, even when an opportunity comes up to teach in an event, to collaborate with someone, to speak, I'll notice, okay, is this fear that's coming up? Is this fear? And then if it's fear, it's worth 
digging into because fear has wanted to hold me back a lot of my life. I had a huge fear of public speaking. Huge. Like didn't want to teach more than a class of 12 people in, in yoga and have worked really hard to now be able to, to teach at big events. And I think fear is worth looking into. However, if something comes up and it feels icky or it just doesn't feel like the right fit or it feels inauthentic, right? I'm posting because I need validation. Then there's something that needs to happen and it's usually sitting my butt back down on my meditation cushion or going on a hike without my phone and spending time with myself because no matter what, I'm the only person who can validate. My husband Mm -hmm. can't do it. You can't do it, right? A student can't do it. Mm-mm. Like that, that's putting myself on a roller coaster of someone else's opinion or preferences. Yep. The validation isn't an external thing. Yeah. If you're seeking that, then, then you need a moment. So it's funny, like a social media thing is, and I don't, I don't want to make this social media dominant, but like you post something I almost wish there was, I guess you don't have to look at it, but almost like there's a button of like, so you don't even see the likes. Mm-hmm. I'll know? post often and delete the app. Like the, you'll just delete Instagram from your... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, don't you... All right. <laughs> well, eventually you're going to have to get back on. This, yeah, right? but it's not easy. So I've posted some some things that I'm like, because again, and you're probably the same way. The only time I'll post something is if like I have like, like this inner need to say something. Mm-hmm. I don't just be like, oh, it's Wednesday at three o'clock. I need to post something. You know, it's prime hours. No, because mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't have any creation. Like it doesn't just come out of me. Yeah. And so a lot of times I'll just be driving and pull over and be like, I need to get this out. Now, I've noticed sometimes I put stuff out there, and let's just say it doesn't get like as many likes as some of the other stuff. Then I'm like, you guys are silly. <laughs> Like, you know, you don't, <laughs> this is the one that should be getting the likes. Not the, not that one. Yeah. So I don't know. And then I started thinking about it is, but it doesn't change. I, I used to be like, oh my gosh, I need the likes, I need the likes. And I realized, mm-hmm. you know, self-regulation and self-awareness to the addiction of it. It is addictive. Yeah. And people yep. see what they're meant to see. Right. Like I think some people might only, I, well, what was so crazy is that you opened with that, uh, Pema quote and, I had posted it yesterday because she's really important to me on my journey. And I, maybe someone read one sentence of that, right? Like, okay. I'm similar though. I'll pull over, mm-hmm. but I'll also go seven days without writing anything because yeah. no one needs to hear from me <laughs> when I've got nothing to say. By the way, uh, I didn't, I just want to, for the listeners, I did not know you were going to post that. I know. I love that. This is the, that quote, um, was posted the day before recording this podcast, but I wrote the, that in the intro a week ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way, go look up Pema P E M A. And then last name is C H O D R O N. And the O is like with the two dots above it. I don't mm-hmm. know what to call it. <laughs> um, but again, she's an American Tibetan Buddhist nun who's, in her eighties now. Yeah. And a super fascinating lady. And she has a ton of awesome, um, talks and speeches and interviews on YouTube. That's easy to follow Mm -hmm. and completely fascinating. 
and the, her clarity of her words I always thought was really cool. She, I call her my fairy godmother. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I want one. Move I've, over, I've Oprah. Two. Yeah. I have two. I have Pema and Byron Katie. I think of them on each shoulder. <laughs> um, what comes easier for you, writing or talking? Writing. Writing, writing, writing. Right. I've actually prefaced with many friends and even my husband, you might get an email before we have a conversation in person because I am someone that really needs to be with my words before I can be very clear that it's what I mean. So that has to do with the personality that you have. I think so. Probably um, being more introverted. No, absolutely. And I say it's because... I've gone through like all kinds of different like personality tests mm-hmm. and, and things along taking some like leadership courses and they always make you take these te- personality tests so that you can understand others better and yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then so maybe help you relate to them better. And a lot of times I'm like, okay, you, it's all like theoretical, but all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second. Okay. That helps. And one of the things that helped is understanding that about others, but also about myself. And I've learned that, you have like different parts of your brain, right? And let's just say you have the thinking part, the thoughts, the thought, the part that you're, you're tapping into when you're in solitude or meditation and you're sitting there organizing and trying to understand yourself. And it's different than the language part of your brain. And sometimes moving information from, from point A to point B and then having it come out from point B, the way you have it stored in point A can be very difficult especially if you're very focused and almost like a perfectionist with your thoughts and words. Mm. So sometimes that shuffling is what is what is going on. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. See, that's yeah. what I took out of that class. When I reor- I feel like when I write, I'm reorganizing and bringing, I mean, really, right? When we write a story, we're creating, we're authoring mm-hmm. what's what's happening. So you and I could both experience the exact same thing and have vastly different experiences of it because of what we feel and what we take away. And I think too with foster care and, and other you know, things in my life, themes in my life, it's very cathartic for me to write and explore and, and bring meaning to it. There's a creative outlet that needs to be expressed. Mm-hmm. I think especially for parents of young children because you can get wrapped up in that being your only identity and only thing you do mm-hmm. and you kind of forget that you yourself are a powerful human being alone like mm-hmm. as mom or dad or you know whatever your name is you're not just mom anyways so speaking of which, like, what do you do when you start to feel like down or sorry for yourself? The first thing I do, I, I work with someone every single week, a coach, but I'd say she's more like a therapist. Um, why well, look at my thoughts? Like what thoughts are on replay? because it's, it's causing how I'm feeling. So when I was in victim mode and I went dark, it was because I was having thoughts that foster care wasn't fair 
I mean, I could go on and on. And, and really, I was going on and on. It felt awful. If someone would ask me, I'd be like, well, you know, I love being a parent. I love this little boy. But let me tell you what's wrong with the system. And when I did that, I felt so low. And I only dug more of a hole rather than looking for the gems that were there to be seen that were very hidden at that point. But there was so much for me to be grateful for and to uncover. And I, I was also doing a terrible job of advocating because I was making myself the victim rather than these unbelievable little kids who I could cry right now just thinking about how beautiful and special. And so it's now something using this particular example, holding myself so accountable for the thoughts that I'm thinking and what's coming out of my mouth because it's creating my whole reality. So now when I speak to foster care, you're hearing something very different and I'm feeling something very different. And in turn, I get to have conversations full of possibility. Whereas before I was having conversations with a giant stop sign and where do you go from there? Where do you go from there when you're only willing to speak to limits and what's wrong? You're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I would say on just a regular <laughs> day, if I wake up and I'm feeling down, my natural state is not, um, my natural inclination has never been to be someone who's like super active. I remember when I met all of you guys and I was so intimidated. I'm like, oh my goodness. And moving my body in a way that's challenging now is really important to me for me to get out of a certain mindset. Meditation will not always be helpful in those moments. That has to come after I've moved my body or challenged myself so that I am physically embodied and then I'm able to sit and sort through what I need to in my mind and heart. So you're talking about like, like a, like a higher intensity exercise. Yeah. So those two, and I've talked about this a lot. And I always say like a, a warrior, and I don't mean like a man, I'm saying a warrior that we all are because we're all fighting that inner battle and, and keep driving forward. Right. So a warrior has to be skilled in action and non-action. So to me, like meditation and yoga is the other side of the coin to high intensity. Mm-hmm. And so to be, to be well-rounded, you have to be kind of like skilled in all of it. A little challenge though, with the higher intensity stuff is that you, I have found meditation in it. Oh, absolutely. Like one of my favorite things to do, I've never mentioned this out loud, but is to go run really hard at nighttime. Mm. That is almost like I can, I actually do this. Like I kind of look around first, but I'll, and I'll be running super hard and closing my eyes. It's it's an interesting experience. Make sure obviously if you're like in the military, look around. That would not end well for me. I already know that. Yeah. But no, but (laughs) you end up like, what are you doing? You're meditating. Closing your eyes. Right. And why? To, to, be in my internal world. 
You mm-hmm. can see better with your eyes closed. Yeah. You can feel better. Mm-hmm. You have a better sense of your body and your thoughts. So to me, it almost, if you're running or it's still the same thing, you're just doing, your body is doing something else. So there's some interesting little like tricks going on in your mind. And then you also get a different sense of your relationship with the earth. Mm-hmm. And you realize how much balance is always going on and like what you're doing and how you're feeling. It's kind of crazy, but any of you open-minded folks out there, go try it. All you other <laughs> judgmental folks, uh, you should go try it too. But either way, you find peace in there, right? You get to a certain point where like, there's another thing, like I'll put this out there because I don't care. A lot of times when I'm running at nighttime, I'll bring myself to the point where I'm crying because I'm because uh, grief comes up, sadness comes up, other things that I didn't realize that were going on inside of me come up. And then I, once I, I see that, I recognize it, I face it, and then I usually end up feeling a lot more powerful and I smile. Yeah. And that happens in action and non-action. So for, for those out there, allow yourself to do that. I think sometimes we have these opportunities and people like shut it down real quick because of the fear of vulnerability. And that's so important mm-hmm. to stay right there. I remember, I don't think Matt would mind me sharing this, but we had gone on a walk on a Saturday afternoon in Venice and we had thought perhaps that baby A was going to leave us on Monday. And he cried for an entire day, all day. Laid on the couch and cried, holding him, cried all day. And I looked at him and I said, do you want me to, can I get you something? Like I almost, I was like, do you want a beer? <laughs> like I was like, can I help like ease this yeah. for you? Like I felt so like mama bear protective of his heart. He said, no, I need to feel all of this. And that has been so beautiful is watching my husband and I know him to be the most big hearted, wonderful human, but to see these layers peel off of him and, and see who he is for baby a and who he is for us and who he is for the world and, and that he feels his emotions and he owns it is it only makes him stronger in my eyes that he's able mm-hmm. to do that. It also lets him know how he really feels. Yeah. And grief is such a beautiful thing. I mean, it really, the t- times I've already grieved this child has only shown me how much love I'm capable of. And as someone who was very unsure of she was meant to be a mom, it's a pretty amazing reminder that life is guiding me. Yeah, yeah. More than I'm calling the shots. I do want to talk about that component of what you just said. And then, and then I want to transition even deeper into um, your journey as a parent. But very specifically, do you remember the moment or do you remember the difficulties or even the thoughts and questioning if you could transition to the word mom? Like, did you, want, like, did you always want to be a mom? And did you have any struggles with that identity? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't always want to be a mom. And it was something I really struggled with. I traveled with my best friend, Jackie, all the time. She's my business partner, too. And well, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask. Did you struggle with the why you didn't want to be a mom? Or do you struggle with, like, 
trying to make yourself be a mom. Make. You, okay. So, so she was always very clear that she wanted to be a mother and she would talk about it. And we were traveling a lot. This was right after Matt and I got married and I just felt so unsure that it was my path or that I would be good at it. I didn't feel that, that certainty that people talk about, but I haven't felt that in many things, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't believe that there's always this Disney moment where you just know. And I am, I speak about that quite a bit because I think that it messes with people that they think there's going to be this moment that they just know the answer to mm -hmm. everything, right? This is my person. This is how I'm going to raise my family. This is where I should live. That doubt is something real that comes up. And I, I don't know if I can pinpoint exactly why I was unsure that I was meant to be a parent. In retrospect, I'm sure alcohol played a role. I mean, it, it anything addictive or anything that um, it really shifts your perspective, right? Like my, my lens was not clear and we had a relationship with an outside source. Yeah. That so. validated me and made me mm. feel good and all sorts of things. And I also didn't like the idea of being really tied down, right? Like having all this responsibility and, it just felt like such a commitment, which it is the best commitment ever. And that being said, Matt and I spoke through it. He had always wanted to be a father. He's meant to be a father. I knew it on our first date. And I kind of always knew I'd become a mom to make Matt a dad. And mm, that's a struggle. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. I didn't know myself that well in retrospect, too. By the way, I love Matt. That's when I throw that out there <laughs> for the listeners. If, if you guys don't know that, you know, I'm I'm next on deck in case it doesn't work out. <laughs> oh my God, you two adore each other. I actually, uh, you know, down the line, uh, I had ideas of because I had him on, and then I always planned on having you, mm -hmm. and then down the line, I'd like to have you both on at the same time. That would be amazing. Amazing for me, especially because I get a basket and all the. Because I, I still remember um, jumping in the car with you guys when I was at work, commandeering the vehicle. Oh, yes. Was that your guys' first date? No, but probably like our third or something. It was like very in the, be in the beginning. Felt really cool. I was like... I was at work and I was trying to apprehend uh, a bike theft <laughs> suspect and happened to see you guys honk honk and I was on foot. And so I got in the backseat and asked you guys to drive me down the street so I can go get the guy. Say, hey, how you doing? And so I met like... I was sitting behind the seat. Wait, is that I, how we met? Yeah. Wow. I thought perhaps, yep, that yeah. was, that was. So it was like, a, like we didn't really see each other. No. I was like, oh, how you blonde hair? <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> All right, bye. Talk, talk, talk later. I do remember though, uh, when, you know, and when we were all working out and doing, we were heavily into CrossFit then. I think I was more in spectator mode, but I was there. Yeah, but, but I don't know if, if I mean, I, I think all of our experiences teach us something, but you were still doing some yoga-ish moves and doing things with your body. Oh, I, yeah. That I would remember looking and just thinking, I was like, look, it's just her. She's moving in so much simplicity, but it's so difficult. Like, there's a whole art there 
then I was I remember taking notes like I really think I should be able to do that but I can't do that <laughs> but I should be able to do that I have a human body that I've allowed get so tight with mm-hmm. stuff and I that I can't let it move the way it's supposed to anymore and I just took that little and I filed it away and kept pushing hard on on pushing sleds or carrying heavy stuff mm-hmm. or whatever we were doing it's a perfect yin and yang though I mean yoga is absolutely necessary yeah we're going to get into but that. But so is strength. Right. Yeah. Um, did you listen to Maddie's episode? Oh, yeah. And bald. Okay. <laughs> I was probably the first listener. What? Well, first of all, what do you think of it? It was beautiful. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm not at all taking credit, but I'm going to say thank you because I don't know what I'm supposed to really say there. felt really soulful. But one of the things about it that I really liked and you know, being Maddie's buddy is that I really liked his, he was so thoughtful and had so much attention and purpose to his words. Mm -hmm. Right. There was also just a certain level of, I don't want to say maturity. Right. But it's not like he, well, he has matured, but like, I want to say mature. I say matured as if he more like grew, like he's grown. He's not like he was immature before because we all are. So, you know, we're just, boys but the growth that i saw in him was really cool for me to see and to admire so i imagine for you and the love that you guys have must be really cool to watch the growth in him Mm -hmm. we have so much purpose now Mm -hmm. right like choosing his words carefully just as i even said you know coming out of victim mode and choosing your words carefully you have a big purpose and we both, I, I think it's a, quite a gift. And we, we really think it's why we're together, why we found each other. Because we decided to foster pretty quickly. And for both of us, it was a resounding yes. One didn't drag the other to yeah. this idea, yeah. which I, I am very grateful for. Because when something is challenging... It is so good to know you are both in it. Yeah, my next question was going to be is like through this process up till now is that what have you learned about Maddie? How kind he is, how big his heart is, what he's what he's capable of. I He's been much more yogic than me in many moments of just being so present and knowing that things are unfolding as they should be because it's pretty easy to get into a space of resistance with this. Yep. Things fall apart and things come together. Yeah. And one of the main things people say to me is I could never do that right? When I talk about foster care or. Well, do me a favor because just in case they haven't listened to. To Bridget. Yeah. Because just explain the, because it's, it, there's several layers to it, but mm-hmm. just, just name like the, the explain the differences uh, and the levels of difficulty and why is it difficult? The circumstances. So, so when you introduced, you said foster to adopt, right? Mm-hmm. So, quickly we had we had started to try to get pregnant as i had said like 
Matt needed to be a father. I felt open to it. We weren't getting pregnant. We saw a fertility specialist. They didn't have great news for us. Threw the book at us with a bunch of IVF stuff. And it, for me, it just, you know, I felt it didn't feel right for me personally. And we, I had always thought personally about adoption, but I'd never talked to Matt about it. So long story short, after a week of mulling this over, I said, would you ever adopt? And he was an absolute yes. And I... How, were you like scared to ask that? Yeah. I was actually... You know what I was really scared about? Was if it was so important to Matt that we have a biological child that I would undergo something that I didn't feel would be the right thing for my body. I've, I've a pretty hormonal person. I eat and supplement to feel pretty great, but I work at it. Mm-hmm. And for me, knowing what I know and knowing people who have undergone the experience, I think it's a beautiful decision for the people that it's right for. And for me, it didn't feel right. And so I was very nervous to ask him because once I had that realization, it felt so important. It's like, oh, right. It was like right here the whole time. And yet I couldn't see it. And, um, I have a student who's a foster adoption lawyer and I didn't know what that was. And so she exposed us to foster care and what that means. And we met with a, an agency and, and started the process. So one year ago today, which today's been November, um, we were just finishing up getting certified. Foster, so to foster to adopt means you will foster a child with the hope that you will get to adopt that child or a child. But foster care is very unknown. So the the birth parents are often trying to get their lives together or go through whatever the court has mandated. And I mean, Matt and I've been to court 14 times in a year. Hmm. Um, there's oh, been a lot. That's uh, a lot of really stale time in the hallways. The court kind oh of gives gosh. me nightmares. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I've done, although we have a very nice bailiff who is very sweet to us. And there's, there's things, there's a lot of light to be seen there. I have to mm-hmm. seek it out. Yep. I seek it out. Um, I mean, our little guy could be with us for a year and a half and he could still go to live with his biological family. It's not until there's something called termination of parental rights, which occurs after every option or opportunity for that birth parent has been exhausted, that then a few months later, you as the foster parent will hopefully get to adopt. So right now, to simply put, you right now you don't know if your baby is going to stay. No. Now, could it happen as as soon as like you get a phone call and the baby has to be gone like the next day? Like how does that at work? this point in the beginning? Yes, because they could find another relative for him to go live with. But we he's been with us for almost eleven months, so those things have been done. So at this point, it's every court date is when we go in unknowing. Holy moly. All right. 
What are you choosing to see on those days, knowing that you could possibly, I don't want to say lose, but not really, I don't know, lose or loss is the right word. But, no, but it, I mean, yeah. but it, but it yeah, in I a mean, physical sense, yes. Yep. I would probably never see him again. So what is that? You're getting dressed. You're in the car. You have to get out of the car. I mean, what is that feeling like? It's awful. It's awful. But it's also just one foot in front of the other. You know, like, I, I think about parents that lose their children, people who lose, I mean, we all lose people. And we don't, many days, we don't know that's going to happen. At least I get the opportunity to say goodbye a hundred times, you know? And it sounds, it's so worth it. It really is. I mean, I'm different now. And Matt is different because we're willing to put ourselves in the fire. And, you know, I was, I was saying to a friend, I'm okay. (laughs) At the end of my days, I mean, I want to be, I want my heart to be all used up. I don't think that's possible, but I want every inch of my heart and my spirit to have been used and grown and transformed because what's the point otherwise? I really, I, I don't, I don't know because I spent a lot of years feeling pretty numb and I'm the, I'm anything but. Like I might be feeling just like you started with that quote. There's days when I feel hopeless. There's days when I feel scared, but I'm alive. I feel alive and we get the privilege of making an impact in a child's life. But mainly we get the privilege of having this child make a massive impact in our life. And when, when I mentioned briefly, when people say, you know, I could never do that or, you know, I didn't think I could either. And you just do it. You really do right? You just do it because here's a kid who did nothing wrong, nothing. And there are 34,000 of those kids in this county alone in Los Angeles. There's 450,000 in the United States who did nothing wrong. And if you've got love to give, I mean, you know, people go to the, go to, you know, the jungles to do ayahuasca and meditate for, you know, 30 days and do this and do that. And what we're all looking for is the same thing. We want to be changed. We want transformation. Well, foster care will do it. You said a couple of things that, that really stood out to me. And I want to, and I want to highlight them because I hope they sit, uh, sink in with some of the listeners and that's your mindset, right? And the mindset and the, and the things that you, you said were get to, you get to. You don't have to, you get to. And I've, and I've talked about this before. I've even done some social media posts about using those words in your mind changes the way you think and feel. Have to 
is not rooted in gratitude. Get to is. Mm -hmm. And then understanding the privilege. There's a whole concept there, and I've said the words like rooted in gratitude and lifted by awareness, that it's almost like tied into this poster up here and why I talk about memento mori a lot. And if you don't know, it's a, uh, you can't see it up there, mm -hmm. the tulip skull time. Mm -hmm. So it's life, death, and time. And that all that stuff can be taken away at any moment and keeping that a flickering thought. So what you are experiencing is that to the extreme. <laughs> yeah. Right? So at any moment in time, your child can be taken away from you. The parallels to that for other people is just because you have a kid, however you have the kid, doesn't mean that kid can't be taken away from you. Whether it's a legal system or a car accident or cancer. There's tons of other ways that things people get taken away. And so to keep in that in mind, to keep that flicker of thought in mind and then live and love on purpose I'm really lucky that my kids are like okay with getting hugged and squeezed and cuddled because mm -hmm. I'm doing that all the time. Same. I smell a million I'm, times. I'm kind of, I'm like, my kid is going to be 22 and I'm gonna be like, come here. <laughs> I mean, squeezing, hugging, smelling the hair, hopefully. I right? was raised that way and it was very, made me who I am. Which is, uh, you know, that is definitely like a, a privilege of a self having mm -hmm. that the chance to grow up with that kind of love, which is now very aware, the awesome gift that you get to give back. Well, and I can handle a little trauma. I'm an adult who is very, very fortunate. What? So, or a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No. Ooh. You also have to like, there's, let me see how I'm going to word this. Cause I have this idea of this constant pressure on you guys and this constant fear of phone calls and court dates. How have you learned to kind of silence those thoughts or are they just constantly there all day long? No, they're not. Okay, good. I'm really happy. I'm really grateful. And most days I'm not stressed because I've made a choice, a big choice to move from this space of gratitude and know this is what I choose to believe that life is unfolding as it should. That when I argue with reality, I suffer. So when I want to argue with what the social worker says, or I want to argue with the circumstance that is foster care, I can argue all I want, but it's still reality. So I notice, and we talked about this at the beginning, when I sit and I'm just with my breath and I'm with my family and that's all there is, I just keep doing that. And of course my mind goes, but I bring it back really quickly. My mind is on a very short leash these days. Like I, it is something I discipline more than I discipline anything else in my life, my body, anything my mind is where I spend the majority of my time and energy making sure that I'm focusing on possibility. 
you know? And I think it's interesting too, that this idea that we won't do something because of what might happen. If we were focused on that, really focused on uncertainty, we wouldn't do anything. Yeah, totally fear-based. It's so fear-based. And, and what people will ask me, you know, like, how do you do that? As, as though, and, and I get it, believe me, because I'm in it, I've had the privilege of yeah. going through these experiences and changing. But I would have asked many of the same questions. But adopting this little kid, it's kind of like that I'll be happy when syndrome. Mm-hmm. it's worth it already. I'm his parent, period. If there's a piece of paper someday and we don't have to go through this other stuff, okay. But I'm sure Matt and I are going to do this again. We're nuts. <laughs> so I think there's a couple points here where, and it's kind of like one of the, the themes of this entire project is to help people become self-aware so they can self-regulate. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Right. And that is what is kind of going on. Like you can apply it to like anything, but mm-hmm. you have become more self-aware and understanding that you can self-regulate. And now that happens faster. Yeah. It's like neuroplasticity. A, yep. And another component, I actually just made a little, I just wrote about this on my social media that I wrote, uh, expect nothing, appreciate everything. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Now, that is really hard. It's not that simple, right? You can't just go, oh, yeah, I'll do that all the time. No, but it's something, again, the path is really crooked. I mean, straight, you just fall off and you come back on. And to catch yourself, and then once you keep practicing, you're aware of it, now you can catch yourself faster. Because, mm-hmm. man, just the whole expectations, and then there's no way you win that. There's no way you end up feeling good doing life that way. No. Because life and life and reality is just gonna laugh at you and laugh at your little silly little plans, <laughs> like oh you're okay. Mm-hmm. But it, but all these things that come down to uh, let's say life or death, uh, all these books behind me, uh, all these like speakers, even like man's search for meaning, um, it always comes down to gratitude, knowing your why thoughts and breath like there's like mm-hmm. that and it's an it's a it's a um it's completely validation and strength based from the inside out mm-hmm. as opposed to the outside in but again just like my little enzo circle up here it's super simple and so difficult to do and so uh, mm-hmm. for, right and so for those people that are having difficulty doing this or uh Let's just, I'll make it more specific. A lot of the women you work with that are struggling, how do you, how can you help them become more self-aware so they can self-regulate? Like, what do you say to the women out there that are struggling? Look at where you're suffering. Look at where your pain's coming from. Because I think those are the, the spaces where you really need to, to spend time I was going to say dig in, but I think something much softer and kinder to, to spend time noticing what thoughts and beliefs come up that 
I've actually found it almost easier in some ways to, to change my mind because I have a challenge. I have something that I can see as a circumstance and something that's coming up. Whereas when it's a thought that's just constantly playing over and over again, but, but that causes so much suffering. And when we have a thought, it turns into a feeling, a feeling turns into an action, and an action turns into a result. And the result is what your life looks like and how you feel. I think hate. So people always say like a love hate relationship or like love, like hate mm-hmm. is the opposite of love. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I don't think hate is, I think hate is a symptom, but I think the cause of it is grief and fear. Yep. And so to understand those things and then, and understand that you're right. You don't, you don't, you don't dig in. I don't even know if you dig it out. I don't know. It's kind of this weird concept that's that I've been toying around the idea of how do you you can't just make somebody recognize their grief. But I think one tactic, one gigantic tool that is really easy to do, but for some reason really difficult is to sit still and focus on your breath. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that such a difficult thing for people to do? Well, look at look at our culture. It's like feeling unhappy, turn on the television, grab a snack, get on social media. We we look outside, even open a self-help book. Right? Like we're always looking outside of ourselves for the answer. Always reaching outside of ourselves for something to fill that hole or to um numb us to to our emotions. And when I started to spend a lot more time with my emotions about 3 years ago, I was flooded by them because there were layers and layers of them that I had not felt or spent time with. And actually, when you sit with an emotion, it goes away. So does a thought. Pema often talks about thoughts like raindrops, right? Or clouds that are passing through. And we make them mean something. So they stick around because they become beliefs rather than a passing thought or a passing emotion. It's the reinforcement that this is true. This is who I am. I'm my grief. I'm my addiction. I'm my thought pattern. Yeah. There's a relationship between thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and then deciding to attach certain, like you can attach a thought to a feeling and then it becomes an emotion. Mm-hmm. So, Thoughts are a choice. I don't think I knew that for many, many years. I like breathing. It happens. Your brain mm-hmm. thinks. Your lungs breathe. It's just what, what it does. I've used, uh, I don't know, several episodes ago, I talked about, like I have this visual thing going on in my head where I'm like, sitting on a little pile of rocks in the middle of a big old river and the river is like rapids and debris and trash and weather and (laughs) noise and all kinds of stuff going on. Are you in Los Angeles? No, (laughs) no. By the way, I don't really like it near 
in Los Angeles. I don't know. It's too much concrete for me. Yeah. Same. But like, I don't, it doesn't matter where you put me. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be peaceful. Mm-hmm. So, and I can't change it. So, but anyway, I sit there and then at least the way I function, if I don't find time to focus on my breath and slow myself down and start to recognize and to be able to calm the waters, clean up the debris, control the weather, make it clear. Actually, the weather doesn't bother me in, in my little, but the water does and the debris does. Like a big old, like, like a bunch of wood comes by and let's just say that's something I'm like, I want to hold on to and it passes me by. I can sit there and get really mad and be like, oh, I want it back, I want it back, bring it back. Or at the point now where I can recognize and go, oh, there it is. Okay, there it goes. And then come back. <laughs> and then eventually the water becomes nice and crystal clear, slows down, and it's peaceful at the point where I can just like put my finger in and make a little ripple. If I don't get to that point, then, then I end up, I've noticed that I end up being shorter with people. I'm a little bit more, I don't know, disgruntled or quiet. I don't know. But that's the visual that I get. That's perfect. That's what the mind does. Right? And you can't, you can't, but you can't stop the stuff. That's the point. Like, yeah. you can, but you can, you can control the chaos a little bit. You can step back. You don't have to attach yourself to everything that comes through. And yeah. so that's something with foster care that I don't attach to all the fearful thoughts. I, I also find it help, helpful to ask, what's the worst thing that can happen? What if the worst thing in my mind and heart happens? I will grieve. Mm-hmm. Like millions and millions and millions of humans have grieved. That our storyline might be different, but we feel the same things. But then again, not giving too much time to that because it's just imagination. Yeah. And you can't, if you're, that's another little trick is that you give them, you start, people start thinking about outcomes a lot, mm-hmm. possibilities. And then your imagination kicks in, which is exactly what it says, your imagination. And now your own imagination about a, a most likely a false reality is creating some sort of weird emotion. Mm-hmm. You're affecting your hormones, your blood pressure, oh, your anxiety. You're experiencing yeah. it. Over and over and over again. But that's, that is something that I've been trying to like explain. Mm-hmm. If you can sit there and be fear-based imagination and create a, f- not moving at all, that you can create with that, you can create those physical reactions in your body that are not conducive to a happy, peaceful life. Mm-hmm. But the other way, if you're thinking the other way, that I, you can start to heal yourself. Mm-hmm. You can't just be able to think and then amp everything up. You should be able to think and do the opposite. Speaking of which, did you ever watch the documentary Heal? No. It's a lot about this stuff. Okay. It's actually a little, you'll, fascinating. Like they, they mix in a lot of the Eastern medicines and natural thing, getting away from all the medications and, mm-hmm. and basically what I'm saying, same thing I'm saying, understanding how you can alkaline your blood and mm-hmm. I'm not going to go totally nerd out now and change the subject, but no, but I the power of the mind and what you focus on matters. And it's our responsibility. Like when I'm when I'm allowing myself to grieve mm. something that hasn't happened probably a thousand times, the effect that's having on me and then my presence for someone who's still sitting there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Someone who's still sitting there. Yeah, I still there. got a diaper over here. Yeah. <laughs> 
You feel sorry for yourself later on. Right. Uh, can you change my diaper? Right. I, I do think feeling grief and feeling emotion, though, is really beautiful. I think mm-hmm. when it becomes something that you can't get out of, then that's when we need to question our thoughts and and not be stuck in a story that prevents us from continuing to live. But I do, I think of grief as a way to honor how much I've, I've loved someone or something. Well, I, I think the, I think the reason for that is you have to experience one side to be able to re- understand and appreciate the other. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the harder you, the harder you suffer, probably the harder you love. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're the same thing. Yeah. It's like this weird thing, right? Here we go. Stay with me. I'm using my, like you have suffering and love, but really mm-hmm. it's the same. I say love is suffering. I was sitting by the bathtub a couple weeks ago. We got in some kind of weird news and baby A was in the bathtub and I just started bawling. I was looking at him and I just started bawling. Of course, I was having thoughts of, am I going to miss things? But I also was just overcome with how much I love him. And I was bawling and he thought it was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. And he was giggling, (laughs) giggling, giggling. He has like seven teeth and they're all pointing in different directions. You know, this like hair everywhere, big, big, big brown eyes. And he's just laughing, laughing, laughing. And so the harder I started to cry, the more he laughed. And I was like, oh, this is the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's emotion moving through us and we love each other. And it was so awe-inspiring because I didn't stop crying when he didn't stop laughing. He's your little Buddha. He is definitely our Buddha. That's what I, that's another thing I talk about all the time. My kids are constant reminders about Paradox, humor, and change. Mm-hmm. Dan Mailman talks about in Wave of Peaceful Warrior. Mm-hmm. Especially humor. Because, man, they... Like, kids teach you to love and live and enjoy and play and be in the moment. Completely. I think as you get older and an adult, you start thinking about all the all those other things start to trick you into thinking that's how you have to live. I read a study, I'll have to find it, but that a child laughs like 200 or 220 mm-hmm. times a day and a, an adult laughs seven times a day. Yep. <gasps> what? Yeah, and smiling. And like bawling in the middle of the grocery store. Like imagine if your emotions just moved out of you that freely. I mean, be pure chaos, but at the same time, like how, they're, they're so healthy for that reason. Not holding on to anything. They feel it, they let it go. They feel yep. it, they let it go. I know when the last time you cried was because it was like a little while ago. But <laughs> the last last night, just to, um, to share, last night I'm flicking online. I'm gonna share it. By the time the listeners listen to it, it'll be on. I'll probably put it on my personal account. But it was a a video of like a young high school kid in football uniform. He goes off the field and he climbs up the fence and goes up the little wall and then gives his dad the biggest like they're sitting there just embracing and hugging and it said that that, um he had just like finally beat a a rare form of cancer yeah wow and i was sitting there just like over and over and over and i kept watching it i'm like (laughs) 
Um, let it go, folks. That's all. If you feel yourself about to, go for it. Chase mm-hmm. it. It's almost, uh, it's like it's like you're carrying around a weight. And it, do you have those opportunities to put the weight down? So in those moments, put the weight down. Because you're going to be stronger because of it. Those are the people I want to know too, right? That will messy cry and mm-hmm. be vulnerable. And I've actually, um, like I was explaining to somebody at work two days ago about like even stuff like that I write or post and talk about. And I realized that I'm quiet a lot. And I don't know, I, may, I don't know if you're like this, but I, I don't, I don't just go around blabbing to people and I actually find, I actually get like offended by most conversations or things on TV. Holy moly, like news or like all, it just, I'm like, this is pollution. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling good with this is even on in the background. But I found that like most people aren't actually talking to each other. And if they are, it's usually just like a, a facade mm-hmm. or something they're, they're rationalizing um, things that they're doing that aren't authentic like true or authentic or good for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I'm quiet. Cause I don't want to sit there and be all preachy or like, Hey, I can help maybe try this. Mm-hmm. But those people, they do have real conversations. That is like something to really look forward to and to like enjoy. Yeah. And, and those priceless, those like happy, like real, honest, vulnerable conversations are like, the best. I'd rather, much rather do that. Quality over quantity. Yeah. Then like, yeah. like go to a bar with all kinds of noise. Oh. Right? Oh, Ugh. yuck. No, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time alone and I, I crave it. I like to be alone. I also live with a massive extrovert, which is great and it's so good for me. Um, but I, I find when I'm in a good space with myself, yeah, I, I would much rather have. I want to talk a few about this. quality interactions. Because I want to, I want to actually have questions about your room. My what? Your room, like your. Oh, uh, my yoga room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you be like if you were not allowed that? Yoga. No, let's just say you. Oh, you, to be alone. You no more alone time. You can't go in that room. Well, I would say, I got. <laughs> I mean, I, I was just telling you and your wife that. The month before we became parents, I called Jackie and said, I'm going to meditate every day and only drink matcha, not drink coffee to prepare myself for the child to arrive. And she was so sweet. She's like, oh, that's (laughs) nice, Mary Beth. (laughs) Unknowing that, you know, no, actually, definitely knowing what was headed my way. And I called her, you know, a month in, month and a half in, bawling. I never meditate. I survive on coffee. I... I mean, my life now has a lot of appointments in it. Social workers, doctor's appointments, child around, you know, all sorts of things. Um, I've found that it doesn't matter how long I get. It's, it's the quality of the time I have with myself. So if I have five minutes that I can spend with myself and I'm not on my phone and I'm being present and feeling what needs to be felt, even the way here, like I living in Los Angeles. It took me like an hour 15 to get to Scott's house. And 
I was just quiet. I listened to music. I listened to a podcast. I rolled the windows down. I, I enjoyed the time I had. Because I, I also have found too, and people have noticed this in my life, that I don't require as much alone time now because I know my boundaries. Whereas before, I was jumping over my boundaries all the time. So I required like three days of being quiet or I was sick all the time. And now, like, like self-regulation in my mind, it's the same thing physically. That um, the time I do have is a gift, but I also, I think... Presence makes it potent. I've also found to almost micro meditate. Yeah, all so day. So there's little, right? Yeah. And so it's like a little sips of water. Totally. Deep breaths. Yep. Pause. Just be quiet. I mean, I like I like you wording it like that. I've never heard that. Did I just make a thing? Yeah, you made a thing. Hashtag trademark. <laughs> Get so on. in the, but in those moments, so for me, a couple a couple of key ones little cues are red lights. I go to mm-hmm. box breathe. Mm. Um, elevators. Like when those, ele- if I'm a solo in an elevator and the doors close, I immediately am like this, like, I like, can't really know how to articulate it, but just like, and I just go through like a one to two ratio of inhale to exhale. Mm-hmm. And as soon as those doors open, it's like I'm fresh. You get to restore yourself. Mm-hmm. But most people are looking at their phones in that time. I think that's really important. Like, turn it off completely, off. Yeah, because you're not in the car. Yep. Like, it's such an easy. I don't think people are often like, "Oh, I'm going to breathe in this spare moment." Like, I'm going to check Instagram. Yep. Now, it's I do want to talk. I I want to. I do want to talk about uh, meditation and yoga, and before we even get into that, you you are you know you sh- you show pictures from. You call it your meditation room, yoga room, elephant room. Yeah. It's an elephant room, I guess. Yoga Thought room. chamber. <laughs> yoga room. Um, so what does that space mean to you? And, and can you just briefly tell me what the purpose of some of the stuff you have out is? Yeah. Well, my husband and I found this house in Silver Lake and the couple who had it before were using the sunroom as a bar. And I saw it and it had this beautiful little chiminea and hardwood floors and all windows and looked out at the trees. It kind of looks like you're in the middle of the forest, even though you're in the middle of Los Angeles. And I said, can I please make this my yoga room? And so it is. And there's not much in there. There's a lot of plants because I love, love plants. There's a huge gold elephant that Matt's godmother gave us. There's... um I have a bunch of photos of people who are important to me in a, I have two daily devotionals that I read. Um, one by someone named Mark Nepo, who's amazing. I'll get you the book and a meditation cushion and yoga mats, a chair and a bunch of books. And really for me, I mean, that, (laughs) that is what my happiest place is like give me a cup of tea and lock me in that room for six hours with all my books in my journal and a yoga mat. And I, it feels like restoration. It really does. It's my little retreat. Like solitude is a superpower for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And especially lucky to have a space mm-hmm. like that, that you can do it in. Yes. 
Because you could have ended up in like a one-bedroom apartment. And Absolutely. We looked at one right down the street. Yeah, we looked at one in Playa Vista, and there was going to be no space for a yoga mat. And we found this weird treehouse house in Silver Lake that needed some love, and like, it's is, perfect. Is there a ladder you go up it? No, but it has like a tree growing through the middle of the porch on the second story, and it's the landlord put a bedroom right on the very top of the house, which is where our bedroom is. It's just like... You got to send me some pictures of this. You've Come see it. Because I'm actually really... I'm, I only know, take I'll, you an hour, 15 minutes to get perfect. there. Perfect. <laughs> I've actually talked about that on the show a lot, and about, about traffic and how you can look at... It's an obstacle, but it's an opportunity. I Yeah. I have, I have so many podcasts and playlists that I listen to. I always make sure that I take the... Even if it adds 15 minutes, take a more beautiful route where, you know, I get to drive more so in residential areas, roll down my windows, make sure I have a good cup of coffee or a tea. Like it is what you make it. Yeah. Either struggle against it or embrace it. Right. And it's a total practice in that. It is a practice. Because everything like getting caught at a red light Mm -hmm. teaches you patience. Mm -hmm. Someone cutting you off teaches you maybe some empathy or understanding, or maybe you don't know what that person is going through mm-hmm. or maybe they're trying to make it to court. I don't know. Yeah. React or respond. Right. And just put your feelings out there. So it's like an interesting practice in, in your own mental, um, temperature almost yeah. like, and man, oh man, is it a struggle sometimes? <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Matt and I probably fight more about, traffic or car than anything else it's really the only thing we fight about it's a test of patience it is a test of patience yeah and oh man peace mm-hmm. yeah i wonder though i don't know how many i haven't looked i know there's several countries that listen to this podcast part more than several but not everyone is in la to relate mm-hmm. to this stuff oh yeah so they're probably like well you live in la it's you know of course i don't know i mean most big cities though at this point yeah or if you traveled you know what we're talking about yeah yeah either way traffic is a test of character just just go sit in your car and only go one mile per hour for an hour and see how you feel (laughs) wherever you are (laughs) five miles per hour it's awesome because then it's not as loud you can listen to what you want to listen to yeah yeah and so in in the room so i i do want to talk a little bit about meditation Mm -hmm. and why is it good and why should people do it? It's I know I know I know my own personal answers, but yeah. I don't want to I don't want to say them. Why? Oh, cuz I have before. Okay. It's noisy in there. That's why meditation is important. We like we said, I mean everything we've spoken about is basically meditation. If you're identifying with thoughts that make you feel bad, and that your life is full of actions that you're not proud of, the best thing you can do is sit down, right? To sit down and be quiet, be without your phone, be without distractions. I notice for me, it usually takes me seven minutes to get to a place where I can actually be quiet. That's about the number it seems to be. And some days I only have 10 minutes in the morning. So I've got three minutes where it's peaceful, but I've got seven minutes where I'm starting to clear some of the debris and clutter that will instead create a lot of problems in my day, right? And make me feel awful. 
What? So the more that we sit, we're, we're going to be more patient, more kind. How are you sitting? Mm, it depends. I'll either sit. You mean, how am I sitting physically? Yeah. I'll sit. I have a little meditation cushion that I like that is pretty high up because if you have tight hips, which I don't, but if you do, you want your seat elevated so that your knees are slanted, your thighs are slanted downward. If your knees are up, you're going to cause pain in your lumbar spine and your whole spine and back is going to freeze up. So you want to sit with your seat elevated. I usually sit cross-legged. My feet do fall asleep sometimes and I move them, (laughs) right? Like I'm not looking to like win the meditation Olympics. I'm a human. I sometimes sip coffee while I'm meditating. Um, I will also at times lay down and just elevate my head a little bit and either do a pose called Supta Baddha Konasana, which is your soles of your feet together and your knees open or feet on the floor and just let my knees fall into one another. Um, do what's comfortable. I, I, there's this, um, famous meditation teacher named Tara Brock and she wrote that someday she only practices for five minutes and she's a famous Buddhist meditator. And it gave me such permission to be imperfect and to just meditate. So I meditate every day. It's a non-negotiable because if I don't meditate every day, I will find excuses and I will stop meditating. I don't practice yoga every day. You know, there's, there's not much I do every day, but, but sitting and meditating for me has made the most dramatic effect. And I know that if it's something I sit with and commit to more, it will continue to change me. It's really like putting space between you and your thoughts. Yeah, it's one of those things where I wish, like if I could give the gift of something to anyone, it would be, I say meditation, but for me, meditation and breath work ha- are yes, go hand in breath. hand. Completely. Because like, you, can, you, you can sit and be with your thoughts and have like kind of sloppy breathing. Mm-hmm. But so when I mean, I mean the coupled together well. Yeah, I, I usually breathe like a yogic breathing in and out through the nose, usually like a count to five or six, inhale and exhale. You can play with different things depending on what you're looking for. Um, some meditation disciplines don't teach the breath. You're just supposed to sit. But for me, it just anchors me and gives me something to come back to over and over again. So I much prefer that. Well, especially someone that doesn't meditate, just getting them to sit yeah, is good. Yeah. And then it can snowball, mm-hmm. right? Snowballs. Okay, now I'm doing this. Okay, let me get a little bit better. Let me look at this. The When I first started doing it, I was doing box breathing. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't like really get past four rounds of it. My goal is to try and make 10. And then it became like a... I did three and then my thoughts were over there. And I was like, oh yeah, what number was on? Okay, back to zero. Mm-hmm. And then I was on two and I was thinking about something else. And eventually, and then I realized that's what meditating is. <laughs> and that it's okay. Your mind is going to veer, recognize it, and then bring it back. Yeah. Just don't let it go jump in the car and drive away. Mm-hmm. I was just on retreat and this 85-year-old meditation teacher gave a talk on what meditation had done for her after practicing for 50 years. And she said, you know what? It made me nicer. (laughs) It made me kinder, period. Right? It made me kinder. I'm reading a book right now on self-compassion. And I realized that's, again, from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And being, having self-compassion for yourself. 
it's really easy to be compassionate for other people to, to other people mm-hmm. and give advice and stuff, but it's really hard to give yourself some slack and be compassionate with all your own like inner struggles and, and perceived failures. I'm not going to talk too much about it because I've only read like eight pages of it. And I've only read eight pages of it because I read those eight pages like 80 times. Um, there are different types of meditations out there. Which, what, do you, do you like do um, like mantras, uh, centering, or what do you recommend to someone that is just starting off? Just sit. I think finding a recording that you like, someone whose voice soothes you and doesn't bother you is really important. Um, And keep it so simple. I keep it really simple. You know, I might come back to a mantra, but it's usually, um, there's a a payment mantra I like that's be fully present, feel your heart, and engage with the next moment without any agenda. Be fully present, feel your heart, and engage without any agenda. And I come back to that over and over again. So even what, um, you know, some of the quotes you'd mentioned earlier, mm. simplifying them, come back to a word that you want to embody. Um, if you're religious, a prayer, a pr- my dad says the rosary every day, and he is a badass meditator. I mean, he can meditate. He meditates every single day, has forever, and that's his meditation. And it, it does, I mean, it really is his meditation. So, um, but I would say starting with five minutes, keep it simple, find a recording, get comfortable, lay down. Like, don't worry about, um, trying to look like an Instagram photo of a meditator that you saw instead. I think it's really important. Sit up against a wall. If that feels supportive, close your eyes, breathe in and out of your nose and watch your thoughts come and go. There's also a common misconception that you're th- you will empty your mind. Your thoughts will not stop coming. I mean, monks talk about this. It's it's more about there's distance. You're not following the thought down the rabbit hole. You might notice it, acknowledge it, let it pass. Notice it, acknowledge it, let it pass. Like my river. Yeah, you're completely. Your river is a perfect example. Yeah. I've used that. And other times I've used um, like driving in a a car Mm -hmm. and you being in a driver's seat. And then you have like, you have fear in the backseat. You have anger in the backseat. All all the other emotions are in the backseat that you can't necessarily just kick out of your car. Mm -hmm. You just don't let them in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're good at visualizing, that's, that's hugely powerful. But you can learn to quiet them down. Mm-hmm. I think really, I, I think I have this image from, from, from Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning we, between stimulus and response. And in between there, there is choice. Mm-hmm. And so I think with meditation and breath work, that space, you're talking about creating space, that little bubble in between those two grows. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot more space now and then within that space, then you have, you have some peace, you have thoughts, you have time to think and reflect on how you're feeling and decide and then go from there. So go meditate, everyone. We're also, I don't think we need to be fixed. Mm-mm. This idea that we're looking for like the self-help book or the fix or that, it really is about getting quiet and being with yourself, you know, that... 
There's no external circumstance that's going to come around and, and change how you feel inwardly. That, that that begins here and now. Yeah, you are the answer. Yeah. That's so, there's so much freedom in that. There's so much freedom in that. And it's a little daunting at first, but I think I it's think, exciting. I think it's also daunting. I think the hesitation people have with breath work and meditation, well, number one is the, the, the connotation they have on the words. Mm-hmm. When someone hears meditation, what comes up in their head? Do they think of some like hippie sitting in a lotus pose? Like, or a monk? Or... Yeah, yeah. So sometimes the word meditation, I, I'm careful with it because mm-hmm. I don't know. Because you want the message to get across without being like decorating and some preconceived notion. But, you know, it's not my place. I tell people too, like you can meditate on a hike, meditate on a run, meditate in a workout. It's about paying attention. What else do you think stops people from doing that? I have a theory that people are afraid of themselves and grief. Oh, completely. <laughs> Maybe a little scared of their I own have emotions. Times. Remember yeah. when I said I want to go work out on at times before I sit with myself? I mean, my heart breaks for people who feel stuck in their minds, right? That really suffer with, with mental health issues. And it really breaks my heart because to be trapped in your mind is an awful feeling. And I felt it on a small level. And, but just like anything, I mean, the more that we try it and the more that we step toward that and being with ourselves, notice your impulse to reach for your phone, notice your impulse to turn on the television, notice your impulse to call someone and just try being quiet a few more times than you used to and see where that takes you. On that note, never stifle a generous impulse. Mm. that goes for everybody and me <laughs> if you're ever out there and you receive a random text from me that's because I had an impulse and I didn't stifle it <laughs> or if you get something random sent from Amazon no or, that's really nice well I saw it, it hit me I saw it on a receipt at, when I was having lunch one time and it was mm. just written on the receipt and it's like because we all do it we all have this thing mm-hmm. like you want to say you want to say like somebody like how you know good you know, whatever how pretty they look and you mm-hmm. don't because you're like you hold it back or you're like you're really proud you saw somebody do something you're really proud of something they did and you don't mm-hmm. say it you see you have to take that intention and make it into action that's the challenge i love that i so, yeah i i do that a lot i go up to teachers i go up to people i i compliment women a lot because i think it's really important and yeah, it feels vulnerable. And sometimes it's received really strangely, but who cares? Yeah. You, we, we shouldn't be doing things focused on what we want in return. Yeah. Right? Like Or your imagination on what that person is going to respond like. Yeah. Because that is their choice and doesn't really have anything to, anything to do with you. Nothing to do with you. All right. Tell me what yoga has taught you. Oh, boy. Hmm. I mean... Once again, what we've been talking about is yoga. So asana, the physical practice of yoga, is the tiniest, tiniest piece, and it's what we know for the most part in the Western world, right, is the yoga practice. I teach a lot of yoga classes. I, I practice yoga. But for me, it's the philosophy of, of presence. It's really this idea that 
the moment is as perfect as it is. And I, when I found yoga, I was, I first went to a class when I was 18 and hated it and swore I would never do it again. And then wandered into a class when I was 22. I was a online editor at a magazine in Washington, DC. I was at a desk all day, right out of college, super uncomfortable in my body and made my way into a class where the teacher put on Bob Marley and basically told us to roll around on the floor. And it was the first time that I felt good in my body because it's really what you watch a kid do, right? Like kids do a lot of yoga postures without knowing yoga, doing downward facing dog or stretching. It's just being present and this feeling of embodiment that you you enjoy being in your body and you enjoy being in your life. So for me, it's changed everything. I mean... It's changed everything. But I, I would say, yeah, the yoga poses are nice. And I always talk about it now that doing yoga for me is a way to organize my energy, but it has absolutely nothing to do. It's not my, my physical, like, mm, it's not a workout for me. It's something that I do to get quiet. And I prefer really slow yoga and I prefer really simple. Free. My chakras are free. The one of the early thoughts, because I started doing it in college the day after my football games. And the thing that I learned, and this is from from super like amateur, right? But coming from like a high intense, high, high contact combative sport Mm -hmm. going into yoga. And what I learned early on was almost what we were talking about earlier was you can't argue with reality, right? You find peace in it. And so in a way, that's what I learned in yoga. I was like, you put your body in these difficult positions, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to suffer there. Mm -hmm. You can relax your face. You can get focused on your breath. You can appreciate that you have one, a body, (laughs) appreciate how it can move. And I found peace in the chaos. Yeah. Like, I can't even, you asking me, like, how yoga has changed my life, I could hardly answer because it is my entire life. Yeah. No, it's a hard question. Well, it, well, it's so amazing to reflect on that, though. It was like, oh, wow, my whole view now. And, and I spent a lot of time when I was younger always looking for what fit. Right? Like I was raised Catholic. I explored a lot of other belief systems. And I was always trying to find like what fit. And for me, yoga is this beautiful philosophy that isn't a religion that, that just, it, it fits so nicely with whatever beliefs you may already have. It can, it can really layer for people. There's this misconception, you know, that it's, it's a religion. It's rooted in Hinduism, but yoga as itself is a philosophy and a practice. And it is a physical challenge too. Yeah. Right. So it yeah. Just, so it is a workout. And I love it, teaching yoga. I, it's it's kind of, um, for me, it's just it's meditation and movement. You know, like you're really you're meditating and moving and breathing, and the way I teach is really slow, and we usually move with like a really slow beat, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's it creates so much space. You said you're a teacher, so I'm. Would you say, not just yoga, but would you say you're a better student or a better teacher? Oh, definitely student. 
Because it makes me a teacher. I, I am. I said this on a call last night. I was leading for yoga teachers. I, I am teaching what I most need to learn because I'm studying it all the time. You'll find me at a coffee shop with five books and I am not planning anything. I am trying to delve deeper into my own mind and heart and understand myself better so I can be better. And that's what I teach from. So whatever your practice is, I think as a teacher, it's so important to have that practice because that's where you need to be teaching from. Are you familiar with uh, the Zen concept of Shoshin? The, no. A beginner's mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and yes. no matter how much of a quote-unquote expert you become, if you always keep a beginner's mind, then you have unlimited possibilities. Yeah. Well, and knowledge isn't wisdom. Right, I could spout mm-hmm. a bazillion facts to you about yoga, and that's not wisdom. Wisdom comes by living it. Yep. In fact, even and on a total side note, I also want to point out that knowledge is not understanding. Mm-hmm. I've seen that pop up a couple places online. I'm like, I don't know. I'd rather have understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and speak- humility. Yeah. Hmm. Humility is like the number one like uh, trait that they teach of leaders or, or should have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> should, I say should, because we, <laughs> we can all think of leaders that do not have. Yeah, but I think that still comes back no, to No, completely. Being, being, and I think we'll, we're seeing that too. Yep. Now there's this, this rising up of, no, I think it's very important. And yeah. being human. Yep. Humility, compassion, and then, you know, again, I mentioned earlier, being rooted in gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of being rooted in gratitude and I don't want to go uh, uh, finish this without bringing this up being rooted in gratitude and bringing intention into uh, action mm-hmm. um, and also to parallel what, what we did on the episode with Maddie but I don't know if, I don't know if he told you or ruined the surprise but I had chit chatted with him and I asked him to write something to you. So that's what this is. And so I'm sharing this. Oh my God. It's easy. No, but I, it, it, I'm not going to tell you what I asked him to write. Okay. But the reason I do stuff like this and the reason I do this podcast even at all is because I know, again, things can change. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that I, I can't say for sure I'll be around next week. None of us can. No. And so what we create and what we do sets ripple effects long for long term. And especially looking down the line, like 20 years from now, baby A probably will listen to this. And I, I keep that in my mind all the time because I know my kids will listen to this one day. Mm-hmm. Boys, I love you. <laughs> and so I, I, they're like little time capsules and having that kind of like foresight. And so that's why I like to kind of like document and make these things kind of special for our loved one and, and our families and loved ones and stuff for the future. So here you go. If you want to read it. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try to. Our journey started nearly eight years ago. I knew from the first time we met, we would have a lifetime ahead together. It's crazy how fast time flies when you're not only having fun, but also growing, loving, and learning so much about life and each other at the same time. I've watched you take your visions and dreams and create your own path. Many talk about what they want from life. You've not only found it for yourself, but been able to help so many more find their own as well. 
I've never been more impressed by your ability to touch so many people's lives. I've never met someone who cares so much for so many. I'm in awe of your desire to make the world a better place one person at a time. I'm so thankful I have you making me a better person every day. And now, most importantly, I'm so honored to be walking our foster path together. There is no other person I can lean on, cry with, laugh with, or love with more than you. This last year has challenged and changed us more than we ever thought it could. Thank you for holding my hand the whole way. Don't let go. We have many more years ahead, many more challenges. Oh, God. Many more kids to love. I welcome having our hearts torn wide open. It makes more room for the life we are building together. Thank you for being so strong, for loving so much and putting up with all my shit. Love you, bub. So selfishly, it's pretty cool for me to see that between you guys. Probably especially for me because I've known... Maddie, before you guys met, and have such like a, a, a certain level of love for him, like he's my big brother, and I get to watch you guys from from you know a distance, but super proud, and I don't know. I think me saying I have a certain level of like tremendous level of gratitude really isn't enough for you guys, and unfortunately, I've been exposed to a bunch of stuff professionally to have like a, a probably a different level of understanding of what you're going through compared to other people. But I also feel lucky enough to have a platform to get to share beautiful moments like this. I'm so grateful. Otherwise I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be doing this stuff. You have to give him a big old hug for me. I will. Now, if somebody wanted to follow, um, and do some yoga with you. <laughs> How can they do it? Um, I have many classes online. You can just go to my website. It's marybethlarue.com. I'm sure Scott will link to stuff. And I travel a lot and teach. And I'm designing a yoga teacher training that I'll be launching in 2020. You're also doing those cool retreats on through Rock Your Bliss. Yeah, so so my company Rock Your Bliss is um, a yoga inspired coaching company, self development company for women. So we lead retreats in Mexico, in Colorado, in California, and they'll be traveling, offering workshops. And the reason that we created Rock Your Bliss was for women to have vulnerable conversations and to be in community. Both Jackie and I grew up kind of scared of other girls and we were both scared of each other when we met. And instead she's become one of the most influential people in my life. And so it's really important to us that we help people get out of their own way so that they have the experience of really knowing another person, supporting them. And then much of what we talked about today, like creating a life you love, it can be so messy and still absolutely right and beautiful. 
And you can go to rockyourbliss.com. Oh, yeah. Rockyourblissmovement.com. Rock your bliss A lady movement. with rocks bought Rock Your Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. See, I you got to have And some refuses humor. to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually uh, selling rocks? Yeah. No website up, but yeah. <laughs> what? I know. Life. Oh, man. Not a big deal. <laughs> um, and then also... Uh, your Instagram. Yes, is at Mary Beth LaRue. And I write a lot about my journey, all the journeys. I do, uh, I mean, and maybe it's because we're very similar, but I just want you to know I really do enjoy your writing. I Thank really, you. really do. I told Thank Maddie you. this too when I was prepping for his episode, and I hadn't really uh, dove in. But then once I got started, I went and read, I read everything. Oh, <laughs> Thank you. Because I also know... Because, you know, it's almost like you're, you're, I can picture you getting into like this nice, like quiet, like almost like a cognitive state mm-hmm. where a lot of like, like um, smoke and debris and filters like end up moving. And so how you feel actually comes out. I can, I can respect that process. You know what it feels like. It's mm-hmm. the best feeling in the world. Yep. And again, it's not something you can just sit down and do. No. You can sit there until something eventually comes out. <laughs> you have to sit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you also write a lot and have awesome content on, on your social media. I know we have an awkward relationship with that. But in a world where we have not the best like female role models out there, mm-hmm. at least in the public eye, um, you're one of the people that I would recommend for guys and especially girls to follow. Thank you means a lot yeah well i'm serious so i mean thank you for being a little beacon yeah. of light out there for people <laughs> certainly beats like i'm a, in the work you know, unfollow kim kardashian <laughs> <laughs> less butts on my yep. instagram sorry <laughs> um and again thank you thank you so much i'm uh, so grateful i'm gonna close out with a Brene brown quote here so owning our story can be hard but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy, the experiences that make us most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. Mm. Perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode of The CC Way. Please go on iTunes and give the show an honest review. I'm not going to ask you to write something you do not honestly feel. Also, there are still some CC Way posters on the website that would make great holiday gifts for you or your loved one. They look awesome in an office, gym, garage, or even a classroom. You can find them at thecsuway.com. And you can follow the show on Instagram at thecsuway and me at one Scott McGee. Thank you very much for your cognitive currency and being open to what, it, what this show has to offer. Remember, health is wealth vulnerability is strength strength is a choice you are the master of your fate you are the captain of your soul so get up strong and be unconquerable